On today's episode of Locked On Suns, we'll dive deep into the Phoenix Suns opening night victory over the Golden State Warriors. Real or fake, Kevin Durant shooting woes, the defense, the offense, and more. Let's go. You are Locked On Suns, your daily Phoenix Suns podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We are back. This is Locked On Phoenix Suns. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Brendan Clean, a credentialed media member covering the Suns for the past seven seasons, a writer at suns.com and the host of the Just Basketball Show, wherever you get your podcasts. A big thank you for making Locked On Suns your first listen. Happy Thursday. Suns basketball back in our lives tonight as they head to Staples Center or whatever it is called now to take on the Los Angeles Lakers, if you are new here and you have not already, hit follow, hit subscribe wherever you're finding this show. We're free and available everywhere, including YouTube, so hit that button. Become an everyday or get locked onto the Suns right along with me every Monday through Friday from here through the end of the season. Today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code all lowercase locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. We'll talk about prize picks more later. But let's start with Kevin Durant and his performance against Golden State. His return to the Warriors home arena for the first time with fans since he left the team four and a half years ago. And a interesting game for him. Now, we have to get a few caveats out of the way, right? I think, first off, he played 37 minutes. I think for him especially, but even Booker and even Beal, you don't want those guys at that point. Hopefully, if Beal is back and the Suns can find one more rotation player to trust that really only got to an eight-man rotation last night, then his minutes come down. He also had a good preseason. Like, I want to establish that, okay? The Lakers game especially. I thought a lot of what we're going to talk about in terms of how his offense came and how uh, the misses came for Durant on a 7 of 22 shooting night against Golden State on Tuesday was the opposite in preseason. He was capable of absorbing contact, absorbing defensive help, and just making tough shots over the top of all of that, all right? But nevertheless, it is something I think Suns fans are, are curious about worried about to some degree, and interested in. And so I want to start with it. I think it's a couple things that we need to separate. How Duran is being used versus how he could, maybe should be used. What he is able to do within that role and maybe what he's not so able to do anymore. And I guess looking a little bit long-term, what the best version of all of that can look like in this team's uh, setting, right? So let's start with the role. Let's start with how he's used because I think that's kind of the basis for all of it, right? And Durant is going to and still going to, even at his age, be one of the more uh, gravity-sucking players in all of basketball, When he's out there, whether the ball is in his hands or whether he is spacing the floor, defenders 
just gravitate toward him. There was a play, I believe, in the third quarter of this Warriors game where Eric Gordon was handling the ball. Durant set a screen. And yeah, I think it was Kaminga involved defensively. I can't remember who else. So, okay, maybe Kaminga just made a mistake. But the point is, both of the defenders, I think it might have been Clay, went with Durant on a simple slipped screen pop out from Durant. They both went with him. And Gordon just got a a wide open three out of nowhere right, right in the beginning of the shot clock. Boom. You know? That's just one example. Obviously, when he's a, a floor spacer, you're, you can't leave him. The Suns had him stationed on the wing a lot. I talked about that in the recap show on Tuesday night into Wednesday morning, where when Durant is one pass away at the top of the key or, or on the wing, that helper is just eliminated because they're not close enough to the paint to be a factor, but they also aren't going to try to do anything funky and leave Durant with an open wing three. That's his shot, right? So even just that is an awesome foundation to start with. Now, when he is scoring, when he is playing with the ball, I think we're starting to see what aging Durant needs to do and and how that maybe differs from what he used to do, right? And I think that the best moments from Kevin Durant in this game were inside the arc screens, quick hitting actions where he was coming off of an elbow screen, catching the ball, one one dribble into a jumper, one dribble into a floater, one dribble into a pass maybe, um, or if he likes the matchup, if the defense is a little discombobulated, maybe he settles into that, makes it into somewhat of a post up, hits that turnaround jumper, maybe draws a foul and, and takes advantage of it. What I don't think worked was... Um, Durant dribbling the ball up the court and running offense consistently. Now, of course, he's more than capable, but in terms of what is your what are plans like one through three when you get into the half court as a team, I don't think the Suns should think of Durant initiating as one of those top plans in most situations. Now, maybe that changes in crunch time. Maybe that changes if there are games like that Lakers preseason uh, matchup where He's feeling it. He's vintage KD. He is just on fire. Of course, you let him do whatever he wants at that point. But I'm talking 82 games, quarter by quarter. I think the Suns have enough other options, and he is so dangerous. Off ball, uh, you know, running off screens, posting up, or some of those quick hitting isos that you run him that way most of the time. Let's also get into the numbers in terms of shot selection, all right? And I, I was tweeting about this a little bit, and the, the KD stands came for me, which is fine. I think it's – I'm not trying to overreact to one game. I'm not trying to overreact to eight games last year into this year. I mean, this is a dude who, through the trade or through the uh, Jimmy Butler falling on in last January, this is a guy who was an MVP candidate. The Brooklyn Nets looked like a title contender, and Durant was having one of the best shooting seasons of his entire career. I get that. I do think the team context was a little different in Brooklyn. You know, we'll see as he gets his legs, and and I don't want to mitigate or negate any of that. That's all real. He might flip everything I'm about to say on its head, but it's not just a this year thing. It's not just a past two years thing. It's really a since he tore his Achilles and since he left the Warriors pattern that I'm about to talk about, which is his at-rim frequency, right? You look at the numbers on on Cleaning the Glass or any of these sites that show breakdown where the shot attempts come from for players, for teams, etc. And Durant is somebody who hovered around 30% of his shots coming at the rim 
through his prime, through for, you know late late Oklahoma City through the Golden State years, that was where he was. Now, since the Achilles tear, since he left the Warriors, that number is trickled, trickled, trickled downward. Last year, for the eight regular season games he was in Phoenix, that number was at eight percent of his shots were coming uh, as layups and dunks. The playoffs, it was 12%. So let's just split the difference and say 10%. That's a massive dip, even though that's never been a huge part of his game, right? We know this is not LeBron James in 20, you know, 10 or something. This is not John Moran or Derrick Rose or, or Russell Westbrook. It's That's not the expectation. But even to go from 30% of your shots coming at the basket to 10% changes a lot about how the defense can stop you. And I had put up a few freeze frames of, how easy it was on some of the isolations or pick and roll, try to attack a matchup moments of this game where Durant had to pick up his dribble, had to force up a bad shot with very minimal resistance from the help defenders of the Warriors. Like the one that I tweeted was a uh, ISO against, I believe it was Wiggins where Chris Paul is at the elbow helping off of Josh Okoge and Durant forces up an errant jumper from that left elbow after picking up his dribble because Chris Paul was in his way, right? That that in the past would have been a drawn foul, would have been getting, you know, the, the sweep through, the step through, and he's at the basket. And there were moments like this in that, like that in this game too, but not frequently and not consistently. And so I think there is going to need to be an evolution in terms of what is plan, again, one through three when you get into the half court. And being realistic, is it smart to have one of those half court primary options be Kevin Durant having to beat his man off the dribble, having to break through a wall of help defense when somebody like Chris Paul is able to get him off of his spot? Probably not, right? At least night to night, game to game, over the course of a season. I don't think so. The shot that he got blocked by Jonathan Kaminga, I think was another good example of this, where he does get a step, but then again, he's at the free throw line, has to kind of pivot backward, turn around, and then all of a sudden, a a young athletic guy like Kaminga is able to just swat that shot out of of its trajectory, and and that's a, a wasted possession. So, Look, it's easy for me to sit here and look at one game or or look at some of these numbers or try to paint the picture of the past few years. And I'm not saying that Durant is incapable of being great anymore or something silly like that. All I'm saying is in his mid-30s on a team where we just saw Devin Booker do that in the fourth quarter, it's reasonable to reevaluate where Durant is going to be most impactful, most efficient, most comfortable, and I don't know if it's what we saw last night. We'll circle back on the offense later. I want to switch over to the defense. Did the Suns actually put the clamps on the Warriors, or was it a little more complicated? I think you might know the answer between those two options, so we'll dig into it next. First, today's show brought to you by Ibotta. Big holidays mean big family get-togethers, but you don't have to spend all that money on the Thanksgiving spread without getting something back in return with Ibotta. You can get your turkey and all of your favorite sides 
for free. Here's what I mean. Starting November 1st for the fourth year in a row, Ibotta is giving 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving feast. Just add the offers in the app to redeem your every for everything you need to make your Thanksgiving feast. All you have to do is shop at your favorite retailer, retailers, upload your receipt, and then Ibotta gives you cash back on grocery items, produce, personal care, pantry goods, so you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're purchasing. You can also earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers as well, when you start with Ibotta, including Lowe's, Macy's, Sephora, Best Buy, and more, you get that money, again, in those gift cards or straight to your bank account. Instead of points or credits or different things like that, Ibotta gives it right to you. Download the Ibotta app. Use the code LOCKED to get 100% cash back on your Thanksgiving dinner starting November 1st. Just go to the App Store or Google Play Store. Download the free Ibotta app and use the code LOCKED when you do. That's I-B-O-T-T-A, Ibotta, in the Google Play or App Store. Promo code LOCKED. Today's show also brought to you by Prize Picks, who are coming in and fixing daily fantasy sports. If you have not taken advantage already, I could not recommend them more. Prize Picks is incredibly simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals as well, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types to pick the more or less line for and get your money right then and there. PrizePix also offers weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like their Taco Tuesday, where each Tuesday PrizePix discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. You set your picks, you say more or less than whatever the projection might be for a player across any sport, you leave it there, and you watch the money come in. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNBA and use the code LockedOnNBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash locked on NBA. Use the code locked on NBA for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. We talked Durant. Let's talk defense now. I got some comments in the YouTube version of the recap show where a lot of folks were pushing back on my discrediting of the defense or saying, like, I, why am I not focusing on that aspect of what the Suns accomplished and this and that? So here it is. Now I'm doing it. But the reason that I didn't go all in and, and you know, talk it up is I'm not sure the Suns had that great of a defensive performance last night. They didn't force a lot of turnovers. And they fouled. I thought their transition defense was good. I will I will start with that positive. But in terms of stopping the core stuff that you know you need to stop when you play the Warriors, I'm not sure that the Suns really... I don't think they're going to go to Los Angeles on Thursday feeling like they excelled against Golden State by any means. Okay? Let's start with Curry. To be more specific here. Josh Kogi did a great job. I think even uh, Yusuf Nurkic did a pretty solid job in terms of knowing when to step up and at least get a hand in the face on some of those step-back threes, pull-up threes that we know Curry is liable to launch at any moment. That's something DeAndre Ayton always did a good job on too. But it is a skill, and, it, and it's something that you have to feel 
It's a little easier when it's not Draymond Green setting that screen because you don't have to worry so much about that role with a passer on the move like Draymond is so good at doing. But still, okay, check that box. I think that they did a pretty good job on Curry in pick and roll and dribble handoff situations. And I said that last night. I said Akogi did a pretty good job. I think he's proving he can handle that matchup and at least making Curry work making him uncomfortable, making him settle for some lesser shots at times. A lot of Curry's best scoring moments, I thought, came in the chaos, like they, like they always do, cutting, getting a kick out off of an offensive rebound, stuff like that. But the primary basic offense of him just in a pick-and-roll, in a screen-and-roll environment, that did not lead to a lot of great stuff for the Warriors, and the Suns deserve credit for doing that. But... Almost everything else, I think that the Suns kind of got lucky. So you got the transition defense working and the Curry stuff working. That's the recipe to win. Of course, they won. I'm not, you know, taking that away from them. But there was a lot of leakage elsewhere, okay? I think uh, Grayson Allen did not do all that good of a job on Chris Paul. You know, Chris is a small dude. He did not make his shots in terms of the jumpers. But I thought that Paul was able to get to the basket. He got to the line seven times. He had nine assists to one turnover. I think he was able to get to his spots, able to create what he wanted to create. And I don't think Grayson Allen put up that much of a fight against him. I think the best stuff that Golden State was able to run in this game was off-ball screens for Klay Thompson set by Kevon Looney. The The moments when that crowd was going and when the Warriors started to feel like they were in a rhythm was when that action was at its best. And I don't think the Suns played it well. I saw at least two times where Yusuf Nurkic being kind of caught in no man's land, not knowing what to do when, for instance, Clay comes off the screen, catches the ball, but right after the screen, Looney starts to roll and Clay's looking for that pass. You saw Nurkic be lost a couple of times and lead directly to baskets. You also saw somebody like Allen, for instance, um, not always able to stay with Clay to even contest the shot in the first place, which is another negative. And I think, too, that the Warriors just, they didn't, the Wiggins part of last night's game was just weird to me. I mean, I'm not going to sugarcoat it or try to talk around it. I just, he didn't close the game. He looked somewhat off. He had some nice moments driving to the basket. Uh, I guess, you know, he just wasn't as impactful as you would like, so maybe that's just you bench him. I, I mean, whatever. It's not that big of a deal. It's one game. But I do think with Durant guarding him and with the Suns a little bit discombobulated defensively uh, in the half court that I think Wiggins could have been somebody to put a little more pressure, put them in even more foul trouble, for instance, and just be a different type of option that wasn't just a jumper, you know? Um, and they didn't go to it. So if they had, you know, I think that things could have looked differently, but even with what we did see, there were just missed shots at the end of the day. You know, Chris Paul missing his, like I mentioned, Clay on some of that, those actions when even the Suns didn't guard it well, Clay still just missed, and obviously the offensive glass, both teams were able to use that to their advantage, but ideally, that's not the case. The Suns allowed guys like Kaminga and Looney to extend possessions and use their physicality to create extra offense for a team that could not score, shot 36% from the field. So 
I think the Suns deserve credit for some of the things that they did. I think overall, it very much felt like game one of an 82-game season on that side of the court for a team that Frank Vogel has openly said is going to have a long way to go to get to a championship level of defense. Let's close with offense in terms of some of the lesser players. Why did Grayson Allen not play so well? And two of the things we highlighted on the recap show that I told you I would come back and explain, why did it feel like the Suns were playing fast and yet their transition numbers don't look good? And what contributed to the turnovers? We'll dive into all of that next. First, today's show brought to you by the Fan Duel Sportsbook. Snap into action all NFL season long with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook and the official sportsbook of the Locked On Podcast Network. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 right back into your account in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action with football in full swing. And of course, the NBA season here as well. We have the Arizona Cardinals, who are eight-and-a-half-point underdogs. Kyler Murray, full participant in practice on Wednesday. Just putting it out there. Maybe that line moves. Maybe you want to get on it now. I don't know. Of course, Suns, Lakers, odds, and more. Spreads, player props, over-unders, and all the rest at FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Let's close out. Offense. We'll start with Grayson Allen since he did start this game and had an offer. Weird night. And Gordon with his 4 of 16. And I touched on this a bit uh, in the recap show, but I wanted to double back on it. And I think those two guys, weird, quiet, cold shooting nights, is connected to the turnovers. And here's how. And it's actually connected to the Durant thing at the beginning. I expected the Suns to, even with Beal out, or sorry, even if Beal had played, utilize Allen and Gordon a lot as initiators. And I think they did it more when Gordon was in the game, but less so when Allen was in the game. I suppose when you just say it in a vacuum to take the ball out of Booker, Beal, and Durant's hands to put it into Allen and Gordon's hands, that might sound dumb. But we saw them do that in the preseason. And I think it's what makes this team the most dangerous. That led to some discomfort. I think all the things we're going to talk about right now are connected, actually. I'm trying to figure out how to separate them so that it makes sense. But that led to some of the pace issues as well, where the Suns were getting the ball up the court in four or five seconds every time. This was not Chris Paul rolling it up. You know, they played as fast as they, as advertised, as they told us they would. But for some reason, well, I'll tell you the reason, but regardless, the pace numbers didn't indicate that they made an impact with their transition offense. And I think having the ball in different guys' hands than expected was part of why. You saw a lot of times where, Guys were running it up and then stopping. 
and then setting up a, a pick and roll, setting up a set for Durant, for whatever. And that's just not how they played in the preseason. And I don't think that's the best version of this team. And so I think a way to kind of check a lot of these boxes all at one time is empower everybody to dribble it up and empower everybody to just go get a bucket, right? If you have a lane, score. It's a good problem to have if you do that so long that eventually you feel like the shot diet is not what it should be. If there's a game where Grayson Allen shoots it 20 times because he keeps thinking he has a a lane to the basket in transition or semi-transition or off of a quick screen and he misses a lot of those shots or turns it over a lot or Booker ends up with like 10 shot attempts for, for some in some game, then, you know, bridge to cross later. Right now, go. Do it. Move the ball up the court with any of the guards and get the first best shot. There were a lot of possessions that could have been transition that ended up being half-court possessions just because of that hesitation. And Booker did it too. In the half-court, some of it was just uh, early season jitters, rust, whatever you want to call it, right? I think a lot of the the shots that Allen and Gordon missed were makeable. I mean, what do you want me to say? Like, they're good shooters. It's not going to... It's not going to linger. They're not suddenly going to just become bad. You know, it happens. The one thing I will say in the half court that contributed to some of the turnovers, not a lot of them, but some of them, and speaks to the, hold on, what are we doing here? Kind of vibe that I think you could feel in that game is the overemphasis on the short roll, right? So the short roll is obviously what I was talking about with Looney on the clay actions in that last segment, but that is getting the ball to a rolling big man who then can maybe turn that into one dribble and a dunk like Amari Stoudemire would, a kickout pass like maybe Blake Griffin or Draymond Green often does, maybe a lob or a drop pass to a cutter like we saw Nurkic make to Okogi. All of those those options become available. Maybe even a jumper, you know, if you're LaMarcus Aldridge or, you know, obviously in the heyday of Carl Malone and others, that was sort of the the next step, catch the ball in that spot and chuck it. But that's the the type of setup that I'm talking about. And with both Nurkic and Eubanks in the game, I thought the Suns were a little too focused on feeding those guys in those spots. And you saw a few times where that just turned into a bobbled catch and a turnover. And it's not going to be logged as turnovers for Nurkic. Says Eubanks had three. I didn't go through and like chart every single one by any means, but that happened. I can tell you for sure that that was part of the the issue. And it's just, again, it's similar to the transition stuff. It's similar to the who initiates question. These are all things that are perfectly fine to tidy up. These are all things that you would even expect, the types of problems you would expect to have on opening night. And if you win anyway, then that's why Devin Booker is getting MVP buzz on, on Wednesday, right? Like Because they made so many of these little mistakes, and yet he's a god uh, on the basketball court and it ended up being pretty insignificant because he was the best player out there by a mile. Still, I think it's worth 
noting all of these little things and seeing how they course correct. I think that they offensively, if they can just think a little less and start to settle into a groove, maybe Beal returning on Thursday night would help that. They're just going to explode, frankly. Like, I think, you know, how minor these things are that I'm talking about, and I'm sure, um, not to toot my own horn, but I'm sure a lot of this is coming up in, in film study and everything else. Pro- much smarter version of talking about it than what I'm able to do, but they're all aware of it. I'm not, I'm not breaking any news and, and it'll just hit some nights, maybe Thursday, you know, we'll see. Uh, I would probably bet against on it being against the jazz defense or the Spurs defense more so than the Lakers defense, but who knows, you know, maybe the Suns bring their a game to Los Angeles. That'll be the next time you hear from me post game with Aaron Edwards on Thursday night. You'll actually get an extra bonus show as well crossover getting you ready for the Lakers game with the locked on Lakers hosts so look for that in your feeds too and then Aaron on Friday morning or Thursday night if you're a a late uh, sleeper and you're looking for content deep into the uh, the evening on Thursday that's the plan for the rest of the week so hit follow hit subscribe if you have not already and I will talk to you then